All right, so today as we go through this session and we talk about the idea of attachment and aversion and sukha dukkha and raga dvesha, we're also really, really talking a lot about what it means to be a yogi, right? Yoga chikitsa, they're coming for someone. But we're going to send love and light to whomever that ambulance is going after so that they're okay. Uh, so a lot of us, as we're talking about, like, maybe this was a struggle or that they need to practice with a group or that they need a community or they do things online, whatever your um, passion is, whatever you're kind of going for, whatever you're going to tune into um, as your personal practice, it needs to be pretty consistent. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And so the idea of what a yoga teacher is has evolved from what it used to be. You know, thousands of years ago, people would walk around, and there was usually men who would walk around in loincloths, right, with a bowl, and they would walk from town to town. They would get a place to sleep, and they would get fed in this bowl that they carried around. They were almost like Huck Finn with a little stick and their bag of goodies walking around barefoot. And they would go into town, and through the feeding and the shelter that they got, they would give out like almost like a yoga pose and a breath work to someone. So they were kind of like the, um, if you want to say, they were the traveling doctor, right? Or they were the traveling therapist. And they helped people with their issues through mindful breath and movement practices. It's called yoga chikitsa. And when these people would go from place to place, it was kind of like that was their mission and their path. As the world and our culture has evolved from being um, just yoga chikitsa into an industry of yogis and yoga practitioners and a multi-billion dollar industry and 3.7 million people practice and, you know, like they say that over $500 are spent. So each one of us in this room spends at least $500 a year on yoga clothes and you know, like it's just becoming this huge industry. It's changed the tune. It's changed the direction of where you're going as teachers. But I think it's really important to step back and remember where we came from, right? We're servants of servants, helping people find focus, alignment, breath, ease, get rid of pain and suffering, and bring ease and comfort into people's lives, which means in turn that you as teachers have to practice what you preach or else you're like phoning it in hey and you're looking in the mirror when you're like teaching a student versus paying attention to the student breathing with the student and helping that student find center drop into awareness and anchor into their truth so they can be just as brilliant and as bright as all of you are that makes sense so if we stick with the yoga chikitsa philosophy we have to practice the lifestyle because if we're not practicing what we preach, then it's going to fall upon deaf ears or people are going to sense that. It's like an animal that senses your fear, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're not really practicing or if you're not really doing and you're just kind of going out there and doing this because, you know, you want to wear cute clothes or you're trying to pick someone up or you know, whatever has made you want to be a teacher and it's not authentic, 
then your students are going to be able to tell. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to have a personal practice. Whether it's something that you do that you are part of an online community, whether it's something you do on your own in the morning, whether it's something you do on, at your own at night, whether it's do, something you do when your kids are sleeping, it's really not about, say, the time of day, but it's the fact that you put your tush to the cush, that you step onto the four, you know, your mat and you allow those four corners of the mat to ground you and to give you um, the ability to let go so you can tap into, um, like, the idea of um, generosity. You can tap into the idea of um, compassion. You can tap into the idea of having a beginner's mind. You can be able to create open awareness through all those amazing neurological pathways so that you can be actually a good teacher. Because if you're just running to teach a class, but you haven't been practicing yourself, and you have 10 million things going on in your head as you're teaching, then you're not really doing anyone of service, especially yourself. So, but you're saying when you go to a class, it's different than when you're doing it on your own. The idea is, is that you create space to practice. And if your practice, you know you are a community-oriented person and you need community, and you would rather have someone guide you versus you moving through and, and, and mm -hmm. doing things on your own at home, then that's what your truth is. And you have to really respect that. Okay. Yeah. I think that's important. I, I have a question, Jess. Um, I, I went to a class a few years ago, and the teacher happened to be a friend of mine. She's going through a divorce. Yeah. And... Um, after the class, a lot of us were weeping, <laughs> and it was just like a a weird. I just felt like we were picking up her yeah. sadness. Yeah. And so, as a teacher, how do you how do you um, separate that when you're going through a very difficult time? By having a consistent mindfulness yeah. practice and remembering that you don't bring your work into the studio, your life's work. What you're doing when you teach is that you're really being a conduit or you're creating open space for people so that they can fall awake. So when you need to have a ritual of letting go, whether it's washing your hands uh, before you go into a room and teaching, whether it's taking deep breaths or whether it's ch some people change clothes, you know, out of their day clothes into their yoga clothes. Some people have a mala, but you have to create a protective shield of prana where you don't bring in your stuff to your, and, or lay a guilt trip or um, become all about you and bring your ego into the classroom. You are actually sharing, you know, um, a practice but not your opinions. So it's a very fine line. It's a subtle, nuanced walk to be a teacher. Hmm? And um, got to check yourself. Hmm? I had an idea in my in a class I went to yesterday or the day before um, that if I work on the things that. Uh, 
for healing in my own body through yoga, like my back is all compromised. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel like if I made a sequence out of things that would support myself, uh, a personal practice sequence that would support myself, then I would feel like uh, I could be more, uh, if I teach, I could be a generous teacher because I don't feel like I'm giving something away. There's nothing left for me because I haven't fixed what hurts here first before I start helping somebody else go, you know, fix their, help their back or adjust their back. I don't know, it just seemed really clear to me the other day that if I did that, then I wouldn't feel like holding it, the knowledge. Uh -huh. I'd, I'd actually freely give it. Uh -huh. so. That's great insight. Mm -hmm. And you're also tapping into the idea of that one of the things is, is that this is a practice. This isn't a perfect, right? And it's habitual. And it needs to be something that if we aren't doing ourselves, and we aren't progressing, whether it's two steps forward and one step back, but it's then those two steps forward again. If we're not practicing and really using the wisdom and the timeless principles of yoga for our own benefit, how can we be a good teacher? You know? And maybe through your healing process, you're going to create a sequence that's going to become like, you know, something that you're going to like trademark and you're going to like bring out there because it's helped heal you so you can then offer that insight to share with others because you're proof that it works but that you create something but then you don't stop doing it you keep doing it does that make sense um uh, blah. uh so what else um came up other than the fact that which practice, which thing did you kind of resonate with the best? The meditation? The movement? Did you like when you were just doing something consistent, like a Surya Namaskar? Or did you like when you had just free reign and could do anything that you did, wanted to do? Was the free movement resonated better? Transition right. is that tech you've done. Yeah. You know? So so it's good for me to try different sequences to kind of see how I move through them. Yeah. And how to set other ones up. Um, and then I would just pick three other poses to put in that I just wanted to work on for me. That's great. Right? So you saw yeah. it as more of a practice for you to think about how to sequence as an educator. As well as knowing what I need to work on. Yeah, very cool. So if we live in a culture where we're really bombarded and we're really overwhelmed and it's very hectic and we are always kind of pressured, right? What's happening now is I really feel people like routine. How many of you, let's raise our hands, like routine? Right, like a consistent practice that is the same thing every time. Right? Okay, so we have some who don't well, like that. the same poses every time, but consistently doing it. Right. Oh. Yeah, consistently doing it. Yep. 
And most of the time it's the same, but yeah. not, you know. Where you can spice it up, yeah. but you have a, a framework that you're yes. working from, a yes. template that you're working yeah. from. Totally. Right? So what's happening is that that really works well. Because people can come to the mat, they can tune out, they kind of know what's going to happen, but they can then, within that structure, not be of their thoughts, but they can just move because they kind of know after practicing it, you know, more than 30 days or, you know, like whatever creates a routine within your body, that then you can kind of lose yourself to the breath. I think I found that with the words on the document. Uh -huh. The first couple of days I did it, I was like, ah, like, where should I put this? I can't really read it. Maybe yeah. my eyes are going. Yeah. And then yeah. once I practiced it every day and it kind of became kind of second nature, yeah. then I didn't have to think so much about it. Right. And then I could just kind of get to the right. breathing and the like next step of it. Right. And now you're kind of figuring out why things like Ashtanga or, uh, you know, like that some of the franchises or chains that are out there that have consistency within their programming is much more receptive to individuals because they already kind of know, they feel safe. You do it one time and then you start kind of maybe getting better. And then as you start maybe getting better or you have some things that like breakdowns to break through, but you keep going and you start to then tune in to the deeper and the subtleties of the practice where you open up the lines of communication and it's not really about like, oh, I need to know what the next pose is, but it's, oh, my mind is starting to be free. I feel a little bit more open. I feel a little bit more spacious, right? And we are a visual culture. So as teachers, maybe it's better to see things, whether it's a video or it's a, um, you know, like going to a class and being with a group of people where you have that to create the routine and consistency. But then you can take it back to your home and do it on your own once you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, yeah, this week I'm taking a, a class and, or it's every day, yep, five days, yep. and it's the same, mm -hmm. basically. So it is kind of, yeah, you're learning, like, oh yeah, okay, we're doing that. Yep, and then once you feel comfortable with that, then you might yeah. be like, oh, I'm going to go home and I'm going to just try this on my own because you're safe, right? Sure. Yep. Okay. Or how about like they say that people who are in the hospital and they get like maybe a car accident or something happens that if you visualize yourself going through something that has been a routine that you actually can heal yourself just by going through it visually. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. Actually, in my job, I try to teach that to the people that I'm training. Oh, like if you if you're learning how to draw blood on an animal or you're learning how to do a surgery, visualize it first mm -hmm. a gajillion times and then try to do it. And it's almost like that brain connection makes muscle memory on its own. So awesome. Yeah. That's great. So that what happens is is that through the process of what we've been doing with our PPD. Um, we've been learning that self-care, even though it is a struggle, once it becomes habitual, it gives you the focus and the clarity and the peace of mind that you actually really need in order to be a good educator. But it's just like, you know, like riding a bike. You weren't like good at riding a bike right away unless you're like a divine master and like came back from another life and just dropped on a bike and we're like, oh yeah. Or you're not going to be like the best chef 
if you've never cooked before, there's going to be a lot of like fumbling around and finding the right ingredients. You're not going to be the best architect, right? If you don't know how to use a hammer or haven't had the experience of drafting or don't know about where the pipes and the doors and the windows and the electrical stuff all goes because you have to kind of go to school and educate yourself through it. So sometimes the best way to educate yourself is to have that habitual routine and consistency. You know, just like we learn in school, the way we learn in school is the way that you're kind of trying to teach yourself to learn about your body-mind connection. So each week that we've been meeting has been, we're learning totally different things, but we're moving up to a space where you find your voice and your style and your personality. Hopefully that became very apparent through this process. We also, through this process, learned a little bit about something called um, bandhas, right? So first we found alignment and how to just sit properly so no one move, everybody freeze. And look at your friends, how are they sitting? Oh, all right. So that's something to think about, right? How do we carry ourselves, right? What do we stand for, you know? Your body is your autobiography. So there's some pretty amazing things that happen when you carry yourself out there into the universe. So we start with alignment, and that clarity gives you a little bit of focus, right, for pure seeing. And then we started moving into, from alignment, we talked about bandhas, right? So those dynamic opposites of the Mula Bandha and the Uddiyana Bandha as they work together. So we had the moving through vinyasa with a block, which seemed really weird, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, and then I tried it without the block, and I kind of tweaked myself out. But when you realize that if you keep that phantom block in between your leg and you start to create that diamond path from the base of your spine at the, near the perineum muscle and move up, then you start to find how the breath truly helps you with your alignment, right? And then what was after the Mula Bandha was then the Uddiyana Bandha. Mm -hmm. And the Uddiyana Bandha was when we practiced doing those things that you are in love with. Struggling with. Yes. The um, tripod headstand preps mm -hmm. where your hands, your arms are in the strap, your hands and head are down, and your legs are in down dog legs squeezing a block, and you're just lifting the block up halfway and then back down. But in turn, what you're starting to do is find the connection between the Mula Bandha and the Uddiyana Bandha, right? You're finding the connection between your inhales and your exhales. You're finding your connection between the um, positives and the negatives, right? So now I'm talking about almost like Ha and Ta, right? We're finding that balance between the sun and the moon and those uh, the um the way to create balance through shtira sukha asanami, right? And we talked about that word, you're balancing out your strengths and your weaknesses so you have effortless effort. And effortless effort is not something that's actually easy, right? But it looks effortless because we are aligned, because we're really focused on finding that balance. 
And it doesn't mean that one day it's going to be really shitty, right? We all checked in and some of us were like, oh, well, like I kind of did it, but I couldn't do it. And I had, you know, this week was a tough week or whatnot. But the fact that you found something to keep you stable, maybe it wasn't, I did movement practice this week, but maybe it was like, oh, I meditated every day or, oh, I did my um, mantras every day this week or, oh, I practiced, you know, only movement practice, but I only did five sun A's and five, five sun B's. You know, or before bed, I did a visualization or meditation practice. There is no right way, right? There only is the way. And that way is what resonates with each of you. But now you have enough tools in your toolkit to know how important it is to have a personal practice so that you in turn can be a good guide, right? Because like what you're saying with that person bringing in their shit into the classroom, the thing is, is as a guide, it doesn't mean that you're guiding someone to your thoughts, right? As a teacher, I'm sharing with you different tools and tips and techniques but I'm not saying you have to do this this way, right? Because I didn't start a cult. I just am starting to share with you different things to find what is your beacon of bright light, what is going to make you get super excited and allow you to find your path. But I can't have any judgment or preconceived notion or expectations from you, just as much so as you can't go into a classroom and say, these are my expectations for you. This is what I want from you as students. And if you don't do that and you don't bend to my will, then, you know, leave now. Because, <laughs> like, some of you got to get paid, right? <laughs> okay, and this ties into the idea of what we're going to talk about living in the moment. Um, the idea of sukha and dukkha or raga and dvesha or attachment and aversion. This is your homework assignment. It's going to be super easy. You can decide if you want to meditate. You can decide if you want to kind of go forward and do all of these things that we've been practicing. But your biggest homework thing is to journal, um, to talk about satya, which is one of the, yep, right? It's truth. What is your truth? That's your homework. Not what is my expectations for you in your PPD, but what is your truth? And I'm going to um, just kind of um, the idea of capturing the essence of truthfulness on the mat because you're growing in integrity and you're growing in authenticity and you're attuning yourself to the moment. And we want to practice on the mat, but it doesn't leave when we're on the mat. Does that make sense? What we practice on the mat is your life. This is a lifestyle. You embody what your practice is because you are anchored within your truth. But like the example of the teacher, if you're frenetic or you're scattered or you're going through a really shitty time and you bring that into the classroom, people are going to feel that because your students have emotional intelligence. And you're guiding through something, but if you're guiding them within your own personal journey, that might be really icky and gross for people. 
So you're guiding people through the wisdom of the tradition, but you're not guiding through people through your expectations. But your personal practice does trickle into what you're going to teach. Because some of you are going to be like, oh, I'm going to teach just mantras. Or some of you are going to be like, oh, I'm going to teach all about breath. And some of you are going to be like, oh, I love the eight limbs, and that's all I'm going to teach. And other you are like, well, this is bullshit. I'm like only going to talk about like daily inspiration from the divine because I have a religious background. Some of you might want to just talk about like the weather. Or some, you might want to be just a motivational person, right? And then all of your quotes or your pithy things that you're going to say or your philosophy is going to come from what resonates with you. It could be you're going to talk about your animals and you're going to teach animal yoga. Seriously. It could be that you're going to teach parenting classes. So you're going to teach like truths from what you've uh, learned as a parent. But there's all kinds of ways to bring yourself into the practice through your passion for yoga versus bringing yourself into the practice through your emotions and your life trickling in. And um, this idea of attachment and aversion is what you learn through your personal practice. So living in the moment and being present is really hard because there's a fine line between sukha and dukkha. So sukha is the sweetness and dukkha is the icky things, which means that there's raga and dvesha. Raga means attachment and dvesha means aversion. So something you can be attached to is like pleasant experiences, joy, happiness, and then you can have aversion to something that's sour, sourful. It sounds funny when I say that. <laughs> Self-doubt, frustration, anger, clinging. But your expectations and your shoulda, coulda, wordas are versus the things that actually are. They're versus the truth. So it's a, there's a fine line between the two. They seem really opposite, yet they're kind of the same thing. You get what you want and you avoid what you don't want. So there's this like push-pull. And then all of a sudden we get back to the idea of shtira sukha asanam, or the ha and the ta, or the bandhas, the dynamic opposites. There's always a fine line that we're walking as teachers. Is this making sense? Or are you like... There is a huge relationship between the object and you that limits your freedom. There's a huge relationship between the object and you that limits your freedom. And we just noticed that when you all were checking in about class, like, oh, this is a struggle. Oh, this was self-care. Oh, you know, like all the things, like my life was busy this week, you know. There's such a fine, fine line between attachment and aversion. Because we cling to pleasant experiences, but we run away from things that give us frustration or anger, right? So what if we just found contentment? 
you know? We're all striving for happiness when it in turn we get more anxious because we want to be happy. It was a woman on public radio today. Right? Yep. Yeah. That was very interesting about the happiness culture. Yep. And it was fascinating because... Yeah, I know, to be perfect. And that's what made me think of this topic, because satya, the truth, or santosha, which what we yogis like to call happiness, is really contentment. So fuck it, I couldn't practice today or this week, but what did I do to keep myself in my truth? What other routines or rituals or um, things in my lifestyle do I do that help me stay grounded in my truth, that keeps me anchored? Like I'm sick, I'm in bed, I'm stuck at home. Can I do a body scan? Can I visualize myself if I don't want to do a body scan? Can I do a visualization? Can I find a cool thing on the internet? I mean, like, everything's so available to us now. Can I just listen to something that's going to really let me ground down? (laughs) I was just in a meeting, and um, the people that were in this business meeting, corporate meeting, and they were all talking about how I can't get to sleep. My mind is, you know, blah, 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 and going crazy. So I talked about that squeeze and let go principle where they just are in bed and they do a body scan thinking that they're a tube of toothpaste and they squeeze and let go from the bottom to the top. There's so many simple things that you can find that are yoga. Because what is yoga? You good example of space, but what anybody have an idea? What does yoga mean to you? Life practice. Right? Life practice. Remember we did this in the beginning when we first met. What else does yoga mean to you? Um, stillness. Stillness. What else did you guys say? Yeah. Nurturing, balanced. Breath. Right? Uh, I have it written down. Um, Present moment, balance, peace, an internal practice, breath, awareness to the breath, mindfulness, shavasana and grounding, meditation, self-care and nurturing, philosophy. There are so many amazing things that you can do for your PPD that has nothing to do with movement. So your journal homework is what is your truth? If we're on this teeter-totter of attachment and aversion, of that sukha dukkha, but we want to live in the moment, how can we take the shoulda, coulda, wouldas out of the equation? And how can we allow ourselves to let things be as they are? Because you have a choice about how you want to react to them. Now I sound like a self-help guru. <laughs> yeah. 
Peace and love, man. Give it up. Uh, but if you think about it, in the Yoga Sutras, when you study the sutras with me, Patanjali was literally the first therapist. How do I get rid of pain and suffering? How do I find health and harmony so that I have balance in my life? Because I am not my thoughts, but my thoughts really mess me up. And then I get stuck and attached to things and experiences because they're pleasant. Or I get really frustrated and I can't get out of that ruminating thought spiral. But if I practice my yoga, like that beautiful lotus flower, and I allow myself to blossom 10,000 fold, and I embrace every facet of myself, which yogis call tejas, which means luster. You might have something dark, which is all okay, but it doesn't mean you have to become that darkness, right? And you might have lots of brightness, but if you allow yourself to balance those attachment and aversion, that kind of push-pull, the dynamic opposition, you've just found your truth. Because you have choice. So the idea of what we learn through our practice is almost like resiliency training, right? Yeah? What gives you purposeful pause? And hopefully it's something that's really healthy for you. I don't know, seeing something in nature. Usually. Nature, right? I love to cook. That just gives, I like, I just, yeah. Anybody? Have something that just like. Music. Music. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a dance party at your house. <laughs> I'm like in the zone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anybody run? No, we have a bag that says good vibes. I play sports and I like to garden. Sports and gardening, right? And I too. Anybody's family, their touchstones? You just I have to say relationships. Yeah, relationships. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Walking. Yeah, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Go Same. for a walk. I'm good. And enjoying what you're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so people are with the headphones. That's yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've all open space for PPD. That it isn't have to be like, oh my God, I have to do this thing. But what if is it, it is going to a group class where they listen to loud music and you feel really good and happy, or what if it is like taking a walk in nature with your family, or what if it is doing, you know, cooking. But if you take these rituals that uh, give you a foundation, allow you to find breath and alignment, and give you a, a way to focus and pay attention to this moment through contentment, then you are the exemplification of that lotus flower that can rise above the surface, even though under the mic and the mire, you're like having shit happen. Like a duck. Yeah, yeah, like a duck. 
Because life is always going to happen, but your personal practice helps you to be a better person out in the world. Your personal practice allows you to come here when you're sick and be able to still be able to be present. Or to come here when you have lots of stuff going on at home or you have things that you need to get to that could occupy your mind. But your personal practice allows you to be anchored in your truth so that you can be that... I think they were talking today a little bit too about, you know, and I've been thinking more about less reactive, right? If you've got that... Yeah. Center. Yep. Right? So if you think about it, that's a great point, Shannon. The yoga is a sensory integration tool that helps you to self-regulate. And in turn, when you learn and you condition yourself on the mat, it comes out into your life so that you can use the breath to find ease versus be so reactionary that you, like, pop someone or you something. do something mean, or I you... Yeah, because even driving is like, you know, <laughs> and now it's like, huh, you know, I don't have to go anywhere, or, mm-hmm. or being in line at the grocery store. Right. Know, it's like, why am I writing a check? I'm just saying, you know, That's so and they're waiting until they get to the counter. Yeah. But I'm just saying, now it's like, yeah. I think you're more conscious of it. Yes. Yeah. And that's the whole idea of like if we're conscious and we have a choice and we yeah. are um, less combative yeah. and we are, you know, in this, your journal homework of being in your truth, what is your truth, then in turn you have um, contentment. nice because I guess something like yoga gives you all these things to do if you're waiting in a line exactly. yeah. you can like <laughs> yeah. breathe, watch your breathing and yeah. seeing yeah. bonds and stuff yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but you're much more conscious though at least yeah. I, I you can do like side body twist hey everybody does too yoga in the aisle carrot munching yes gives you opportunities And um, yoga gives you a can-do attitude, right? Because you find this positive awareness. And uh, that can-do attitude lights up the prefrontal cortex. I mean, wow, it's like magic. So basically, you're creating space to do all kinds of cool yell stuff. Well, you have your homework now. I'll send you, obviously, an email to follow up, but I want you to kind of come into uh, Shavasana, please.
And my parting thoughts to you is a little bit of a visualization. If I never explore my limits, my body and mind will gradually tighten and become unconscious. But if I regularly explore my limits in a caring and adventuresome, playful fashion, I will expand and grow in a vital fashion. I will thrive. But if I try to push myself past where I am honestly able to go, I will no longer be practicing yoga, but instead I will be practicing greed. And I will probably be met by pain and disease. The mindful individual learns to listen to every cell in their body and mind and be responsive to its needs and its lessons. Feel yourself finding that beautiful balance between the sukha and the dukkha. Find the balance between effort and effortlessness. Let go of feeling empty and yearning. And feel yourself finding integrity. Letting go of expectations and the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And begin to tap into your truth. Feel your back on the ground. Observe the breath. And root down into your truth. Notice the inhales and witness your exhales. Feel how every breath you take, you're harmonizing your subtle energies. You're finding your true nature. Your bodies are your walking autobiographies. Open up to the alignment so you can become a co-creator in your life. So that you can create the change you want to see. Feel how you have balanced your strength and your sweetness, your softness. Sense the inhales and the exhales. As you open up to acceptance and you open up to ease. I always like to say that your breath is your best friend. Give yourself up 
to the breath, to the truth. Stop limiting yourself from your freedom. Allow the inhales and the exhales to let you thrive. If I never explore my limits, my body-mind will gradually tighten and I will become unconscious. But if I regularly explore my limits in a caring and adventuresome, playful fashion, I will expand and grow. Feel yourself truly becoming yoga and listen to every cell in your body-mind and be responsive to this moment.